Okay, so we made it, and Rasheen, welcome to the podcast. And before we even start, I need to do a massive shout out to Sam. Sam, thank you so much, if you're listening, for uh, introducing and suggesting that I reach out to Rasheen. Um, so I'm super pumped to see where this one goes. We were just talking. Um, so Rasheen, we want to go deep on a very specific topic because you're now in this employee evangelist category. Coming into Flux and what you've been doing, you have a cool story around coming out of Bristol, having a bit of student debt and wanting or, or making having to pay off these debts and wanting to make some good money, but not traditionally doing it through the graduate recruitment or graduate um, kind of uh, avenue, but kind of jumping into recruitment to make good money and then kind of go from there. So the topic for this one is let's talk about how your background going into recruitment space to get your career kicked off has now led to the development of the skills that you use every day in partnerships uh, at Flux. I think that's going to be super cool. So we're, let's jump into that first one. Like, What do you think the, the key things that you got from the recruitment space that have been critical to how you've journeyed through to the partnerships? Sure. Yeah, I think I think recruitment is a great first job in many ways because what it what it teaches you is quite a lot of discipline. A lot of recruitment companies will will hire loads of grads, and what they'll basically tell them is, it's how much you put in. They'll talk about sales skills. There'll be soft skills there, but they will talk about just diligence and basically how, unfortunately, it's sometimes it's a numbers game, right? And by that I mean that you will get set, you, people will say no. Um, you need to keep pressing. You need to keep trying. You need to try out different things. Um, and for many people that have never done sales before, it's a really good training ground. It basically throws you in at the deep end, uh, says, here you go, crack on, stop building your own book, stop building some clients, get on the phone all day. And you just get used to talking to people constantly. And you basically, you bet what it basically does is means you have no fear. After a while, it's so natural to you that you're pitching people you've never spoken to before. You're trying out different things. And you're working pretty long hours and it's a pretty intense environment and you've always got targets, which is another thing as well that you just get used to, is that you always have this target and this idea that you must have revenue to back up what you've done. And although in some ways quite a high pressure and stressful experience if you're pretty young, you also got the energy to do it. And so I found that actually having that as a kind of foundation meant that once you have those skills, you may move into other worlds in which it might be slightly slower pace, it might be a slightly different sale. But you've always got that idea in the back of your head, which is that I need to be thinking about what I'm doing every day. I need to be thinking about how much effort I put in. What's the ultimate kind of goal for this company? What are my targets? How do I break those down? Is it quarterly? Is it monthly? Is it weekly? Um, and I think that's the grounding that ultimately recruitment does give you, like many kind of quite hard sales roles. Let me push you around a bit, actually. Uh, so, I mean, what about your background then? Where does, does I mean, I honestly don't think that everyone has that ability to be tough and to go through that intensity you know, I mean, we spoke about, you know, you went to Bristol Uni, um, you, you went to Guildford, you know, for your for your high school and your whole life background. Which part of that life journey for you kind of made you ready to be able to cope with that? Because I don't think everyone can kind of get thrown into the deep end and fuel themselves to survive. Yeah, I, I don't know, really. I think partly it was just a kind of you've got a job, you've got to crack on with it. There wasn't really a, a kind of, there wasn't a second uh, chance in many ways. You know, I, I wanted to move to London. I wanted to be able to pay my rent. I wanted to pay down my student debt. This seemed like a good way of doing it. I knew if I worked hard, I'd be able to earn more money and get more commission. And that would afford me a funner lifestyle in London. 
Um, and, you know, it seemed quite a simple calculation for me in many ways. Um, I think that I was lucky enough that I was quite sociable, that I felt I had the soft skills that you, you need sometimes in sales. But at the same time, I think you can develop a lot of those skills. So I think if you're ready and willing to, to listen and learn, you, you can develop those. Um, but I think maybe a bit of good fortune in some senses. I fell into a role. I had a nice manager. I learned a bit. I started to do well fairly early on. And then you know how it is. There's a kind of virtuous cycle of these things where you begin to gain confidence um, and you start to be more prolific in that role. Um, and I think sometimes it is that, right? Sometimes you fall into something that's great and sometimes you don't. Um, if you do, great, run with it. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's not for sure. you. I could, have, I could have changed and been perfectly happy somewhere else. What about the people you worked with then? Did you have a great team around you? Because I'm a huge advocate for, you know, any employee that's considering a new startup. You know, the previous episode to this one, we actually spoke about how do you choose, or this was Casper a few weeks ago, sorry. How do you choose the right startup for you? It's a very specific process for individual people. You know, do you look at the founders where I would love to work if you want to go to a startup? Do you look at the direct management who would be mentoring you, so to speak? What was that set up for you? Did that, you think, have a major impact in your development then? With Because, you know, recruitment has this boilerplate mentality or at least perception where it's dog eat dog, so to speak. But I think it's super unfair to put that across everyone. I think some recruitment agencies or, or whatever are actually amazing. And I think some have given them a bad name. Yep, I agree with that. So I think I was, again, lucky. I had a manager that gave me a very clear goal and basically recognized that, that I was kind of a graduate. I just moved to London and was very fair in the targets and said, look, if you, if you do X, then what we'll do is we'll, we'll you know, increase your basic salary by X. And it was almost like there was like quarterly targets I could hit. Um, and, you know, by this time, I want to see you moving on to this management fast track training. And actually, I think you're, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of you're going to get bored of this at some point. So maybe you could try this other area. And, and actually, I think that it kept me happy, to be quite honest, for a good four years. Um, and so I was lucky enough to have good management and a nice team around you. And I think, you know, some of that is luck. Some of that is self-selecting. But, um, you know, when you do have it, you, you really know it. And so everything kind of feels like a natural progression. Um, after a while, and I think like many people, uh, I became tired of just a transactional sales process. And so what I wanted to do is start venturing into a world of more partnerships. So kind of longer term relationships um, rather than kind of one quick phone call, get a lead, move on. I wanted to see, you know, could I create something that might be kind of, you know, much larger annual revenues for a company. And so I started seeing the tech sector booming in London. I was interested in the kind of companies and I was interested in, in kind of what I could do there. How could I use these skills? Um, and partnerships seemed like a clear, obvious one because there's still scale, there's sales skills needed, there's relationship building needed, um, but it's a slightly different twist on the transactional sale. So um, it, was, it was good fortune again that I was aware of a lot of these companies because of the sector I was working on. So I could kind of pinpoint the ones that I felt were really going places, um, the ones I liked the look of. And so I joined one uh, that was U-Switch. And then from there, I began to see partnerships as kind of, I guess, my new career route. But it was just leveraging everything I'd learned. It wasn't really something completely new. I think sometimes people confuse this. People think that uh, partnerships are something entirely different to sales. But a lot of the same you know, skills are involved. And I think as we were talking about earlier, sales is used all across a company, you know, right up to CEO, founder, you know, ultimately you're still selling. It's the vision um, that you're selling. And so I think it's a really important mm. skill set to learn. 
I know. You know, it frustrates me that people just look so negatively towards sales. But, you know, people are selling every single day, every single moment. Like, I, I don't understand it where it's not a bad thing to sell. And it's, it's just all about the approach and, you know, I guess methodology and what are you selling. But what do you think has been the biggest skill for you that you've learned throughout, not just the recruitment, but when you went to U-Switch? Um, and then we spoke about, you know, there was an acquisition, I think you mentioned Zoopla, didn't I? What was that yep. like, you know, going through that? Did that fuel the fire even more in terms of things that you zoomed in on to develop your partnership sort of style? Yeah, I think the, the, the things I learned at U-Switch was that um, the product was was so brilliant that in many ways it made the sales job easier, right? And that's what everyone's in sales dream is, right? Is You've got a great brand, you've got a great marketing team, and you've got you've got this amazing product that not only can you demo and it works and it, it's kind of leading. Um, and that, I think, was, was, a, was a good learn for me because what I realized is that as great and as much effort as you can put in in sales, you still have this whole team effect that you need. You need everything else to be working perfectly. Um, and, and they've really nailed this this point. And so um, that for me was was really interesting. And it meant that because I was working more directly with not just salespeople anymore, I was working with product teams and tech teams because it was it was a different setup as a company. Majority of people were tech people. But I was starting to learn a bit more about the product. I was starting to learn about how things develop. I was starting to learn more about the overall company strategy rather than just being amongst salespeople, um, which is great in some ways, but actually you, you kind of, you're a bit blinkered in, in many senses. So that was the start of my journey to more understanding the business landscape as a whole and entirety. Um, and I think that's really helped me now because then after, after that, joining kind of two other startups, I think I was able to see things a bit more holistically than just from that kind of sales view. Yeah. And you know what I love about speaking with you is this raw confidence. I can, I can feel it. And I think confidence is a topic that I love. I would love to go a bit deeper on actually, because speaking to a lot of people now recently with, I guess, the coronavirus stuff, people are losing their jobs. There is this massive knock to confidence at the moment. But do you think your journey and in your background, you know, you've, it's very clear you've been very hungry. Where have you built your confidence from? Is it just the sales stuff, having good management and good people around you? And then, you know, when it comes to, for example, when you applied for maybe your first partnership role officially and moving away from the traditional stuff that you were doing, when did you know that moment when, okay, I'm ready to try and jump out into something new and not being afraid to get knocked down? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a kind of a deep question in many ways because you wonder where does confidence come from? And it, it probably comes from loads of different places, right? Like it's not as simple as, you know, what you've just last done in your job and whether that affects you. It might be your upbringing, it might be the people you have around you and things. So uh, I think I was probably fortunate in many senses, but I think the kind of whole jumping ship and trying something new, um, rather than pure confidence, I wouldn't say I was absolutely sure that I would I would make good of it, if I'm really honest with you. But I, I just felt that if I didn't, it probably wasn't the end of the world. And I, I, maybe that's the attitude that I take most. And maybe that's a sort of a quite a sales attitude, which is that you, you have to accept failure. You have to accept that, a lot of the time when you pitch something that people are going to say no and more often than not they're going to say no and so if you take that approach to life generally it means that quite often it's not going to work out but actually it's not the end of the world because as you've seen in your sales pipeline you know someone will say yes and something will go well eventually and I think that maybe that was more my attitude um, that I felt uh, if things for whatever reason didn't develop and that if I, if I couldn't nail this, then there wasn't, it wasn't kind of a dead end. I'd still be able to go off and do something else. Um, and I think that's the thing, you know, it's that fear of failure is often what holds people back. They think I'm kind of comfortable here. Do I really want to push myself to do that? What if it all went wrong? 
would then be like a point of no return. And the reality is it's probably never that case. You know, you can always return something else or move on to something. Yeah, I think it's perspective, right? You know, it's circumstance. I mean, where do I get my confidence from? It's because I almost have nothing to lose. So, I mean, I don't have debt. I don't have student loans. I don't have, you know, kids. I'm in a position where I can take enormous risk and the risk reward levels for me are very skewed towards reward versus the impact of negative outcome. So that's, I mean, and that's one piece. But for me, it's like I get this enormous energy out of challenging and doing things that I sometimes have no clue, but leveraging everything that I hope I know to actually make it work. And I do think there's a lot to say around having good experiences, which boost your confidence, but being very intrinsically motivated. Like, you know, when you're knocked down, you know, the Rocky Balboa thing, right? You know, you just come back with a bit more vengeance and, and not about anger, but more about self-proving. I, I don't know. It's, it's a good topic. And I, I want to do more podcasts on, on that one because I've really felt it recently. A lot of people are struggling there. But what's been the biggest thing that you've learned so far now that you're head of banks um, at, at Flux in your partnership methodology on how you go about building those relationships? Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me is always being that the, the biggest and best prizes are the hardest to win. And it, it's an obvious point, but it, it's the thing that you have to hold on to because when it can feel like a, a long and arduous process, especially when it's such a large sales cycle, um, you just have to remind yourself, look, there's a reason why this is hard. You know, there's a reason why winning a major bank is a difficult thing that you can't just complete in a, a couple of months. And the reason is that the prize at the end of it is huge, right? It's that scale that you can get, these tens of millions of customers that don't come overnight, that you could spend thousands and thousands of millions of pounds trying to trying to get to your website, your app, but actually to be able to kind of reach them for a bank. And I think that when you hold on to that that view, it's the thing that kind of helps you keep going um, to know that if it was easy, everyone would do it and it wouldn't be quite the prize that it is. Um, so yeah, for me, that that's probably the best man. Yeah, and then maybe like zooming into current times with um, the whole coronavirus and working remotely. We spoke briefly about this, but what I loved from you is, you know, it sounds like Flux is a super employee focused company, which is awesome. You know, really thinking about, I think you mentioned remote work was kind of already in place, you know, Wednesdays and Fridays, you guys could just do that. And, you know, what do you think of that? What do you think most other companies should be doing in that space to, to really now, I guess now it's more accelerated, but how did you leverage that working from home? Do you think it's because you're more specialized now? You have done this for a while, so you can work more efficiently remotely or do you maybe coming from the sales background do you get more energy working with a team in an office i definitely miss personally some of the the kind of team aspect of an office and i, I miss external meetings if i'm really honest with you because meeting partnerships without meetings yeah yeah that's interesting. It, it's such a different experience and even video calls and stuff it's not really the same everyone you know there's a difference of moving to an office and, and chatting with people in their their offices and seeing things in real life so i think that i definitely miss and i do i do believe it, it's a disadvantage in some ways however um i think flux is well set up i think other companies 
that probably weren't as well set up and just learning they're just having to learn you know if you didn't maybe trust employees before you're likely you've got to trust them now and so probably quite good a lot of good things will come from this right like a lot of companies will start to treat employees very differently and they'll look at remote working in a completely different light um we were fortunate that we already had things in place we had the right communication channels we had slack set up we you, you know you could do you google hang out one to one with your manager already so it wasn't an unnatural move or shift for us um but there's definitely things that um that i miss i miss um not being able to wander over to a different team's desk when i don't necessarily have something like booked in as a formal meeting but something to chat with them about you know it's that kind of things that you miss out on that you just you don't really have when you're not in that same kind of um, environment every day yeah no super cool and super weird um but we'll see how things progress uh it's crazy times we live in okay last question for me actually and then if you have any questions go ahead but um i'm just on your linkedin profile and i'm reading your your summary section so rising star in women in fintech power list 2019 what's it what was it like being on that list and do you feel uh or now that you maybe you've gotten that recognition has that boosted you a lot has that given you you know more credibility or anything in your space um, because you know a lot of people are like always trying to get these awards and lists, but it, it's pretty cool that you you got that. And and what what's that been like for you? Oh well, yeah, thank you. First of all, I mean, um, it yeah, it was lovely to receive that. I think the thing that I like most about that particular award is that what it does is it kind of it, it creates quite a big bang and it lists a lot of uh, other people working in fintech. And so you're sort of within this list, you start seeing other names. And the thing that's really sad about this year is there was meant to be an event in which everyone who was nominated and was on the list could go to. And I think the best part of it all, yeah, the best part of it all is actually the networking from that, right? Like it's lovely to be on the list and it's it's an awesome achievement. But actually the thing that's really nice is being able to then meet loads of other people that might be like-minded or work in the same sector that you haven't met before. Um, and you suddenly kind of you're thrown together because you've got this thing in common. So um, that was a bit of a shame, but hopefully they'll be still away. But personally, I think the the thing that was yeah was nicest is that you get some random outreaches, people congratulating you, you end up chatting with them, and you know you then congratulate other people that you've not met before, and it sort of sparks this this whole kind of community aspect to it. And that's the whole point of it, I believe. It's it's actually to not just raise profiles, but to create a bit more of a network in a community. And so I think in that sense, it, it's done a good job. Um, and, you know, the idea that, that more and more women hopefully now are joining FinTech, so the numbers go up. Um, if that's, you know, if that's part of what we're achieving, then, then brilliant. Actually, it's, it raises, that last point's interesting. You know, the whole like um, women in FinTech and, and, and that kind of um, growing tribe, I'm going to call it instead. What do you think of that? Do you think, you know, it, obviously I think women in general have been underrepresented in FinTech space probably. But, you know, I, I remember there's a girl from Barclays. She was ex-Starling Bank. She then went to Barclays. She's done really well. What do you think's happening now in that space? Is it, do you have role models, for example, that fuel you to want to do more? And is that, and I'm also thinking for anyone listening who may, maybe um, wants to break into fintech kind of thing, what's, what's been like really good role models or really good things that you've thought about to kind of progress your career in the space? Yeah, there's, it's, yeah, it's a really cool thing. I mean, like, I think Megan Kaywood, who you mentioned there, who's now, um, yeah, MD at Barclays. Um, I think that the fact that you have more female founders has been super positive. Mm-hmm. So look at Ambo with Starling Bank. I mean, um, you know, there are so 
so kind of constantly now growing and they're in all the broadsheets quite regularly. They're becoming a household name overnight, it feels. I mean, it's not overnight, actually. It's been a long time in the making. But um, I think that there's loads of inspiration. I think that um, more people joining fintechs so more women joining fintechs, but then more women um, progressing through fintechs is the key thing, right? So yeah. um, not just that they're joining, but actually they're reaching those senior levels. So then you can start to see this effect and it's more of a diversity of the senior management and at board level too um, is where we need to get to. And I think that's the thing that will, will slowly help the, uh, the current issue we see, which is around uh, female founders getting investment. So it's, it's long been a kind of struggle for, for a lot of female founders for some reason or another to get invested with their startup. And I think that all movements in this space, whether it be more people working within it, whether it be more females joining uh, VC firms as well, will start to help that. And that's just good for the whole, that's good for the whole economy. It's good for the fintech sector, but it's, it's actually good for the, the whole economy. So um, it's, a bra- it's a kind of no brainer, but for some reason it has taken longer than it should have. Mm. Um, we're starting to see it change, but it, it's slow movement. And it brings up, last thing, I mean, it brings up this really interesting point for me that I've been thinking about recently is one thing is diversity, as an example. The other thing is inclusion. And I think that's what people forget is the inclusion yeah. part. And they are different things that are very much interlinked. So you can, let's say you do want to do more diversity and that could be whatever that diversity looks like to anyone. But if they don't focus also on the inclusion part, then it's completely counterproductive. And I'm, I'm recently reading more into that because, um, and I'm a big believer, like, you know, this whole, like, I've seen people do like women in sales events and whatever. I'm actually not a big fan of that, but I'll, I'll be very critical on what I mean. What I would rather prefer and see more of is let's do a leadership in sales event. And then if it's a panel discussion, just find the best women and put all women on the stage because it doesn't need to be necessarily a male-female battle. It's more like, hey, the best leaders actually are women here. So this is cool. Like, And then that's more like self-fulfilling and it doesn't alienate anyone in the audience. And it's something that I'm thinking about more and more recently um, about that whole concept. Just just because of women and men, it's like, it's who's the best and the best are often women. Like, and, and I think that's such an interesting point where that whole alienation causes this whole negative talk, which is just wrong. Um, so that's my perspective. So I, I'm really keen to see that just, you know, people being much more intellectual on in how they set up these events, set up these movements, because it just, it makes more sense. But we'll see. That's my kind of uh, 10 cents on the topic. Yeah, I think it's a really hard one. When you're in the stages where you're still trying to get this, um, I guess, equilibrium between lots of men and lots of women working in space and making it more kind of 50-50, I think while it's not, and while the, the stats are so bad, the, the view is like, let's have these, let's have these events to showcase um, women in, in fintech and therefore hoping that more people will join with the view like, oh, this is being kind of put to the front of the profile. So actually, this is something that, that's right for me. Um, and I think that's kind of what they're trying to achieve. And I, I take your point as well. I think on the event space, I mean, it seems mad that, yeah, there are still so many events where they're not managing to find this diversity of people on panels when, you know, it is, it's quite easily done nowadays, but, um, mm-hmm. it's getting there. It's definitely, there's a growing awareness. It's a hell of a lot better than it probably was five or 10 years ago. So we can be glad of that. Baby steps. And when are you launching your company, huh? You know, it's, this is the next <laughs> step. I'm waiting for like the, you're going to become the next founder. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be fun. I just need an idea and then maybe, you know, 10 million pounds. But I don't have either right now. 
Um, no, I've got I've got a lot to achieve at Flux, and um, we're in a, a super interesting space because we're on the contactless receipts, right? So right now, with yeah, COVID being a horrendous burden for for a lot of companies, the idea that you can get a contact receipt without having to touch a piece of paper and hand it over, there's actually an amazing opportunity for Flux um, in that. So uh, we are literally attacking this kind of all guns blazing, trying to to do our best to get as many merchants on board, uh, as many banks using our service. Um, and that's, uh, yeah, that's my objective at the moment. Cool. And that's super exciting space and anyone listening, check out Flux. They are a dope company. been following you guys for a few years, spun out from some of the people from Revolut. So some pretty good backing and, and, and smart minds in the company. And, um, probably when you guys are growing the team, you know, if you guys are super sharp out there, check out Flux to join them and, and want to join this, this, this crazy girl on this podcast and go on that rocket ship ride. Yeah, Absolutely. Hey, super cool. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm looking forward to editing this one and and pushing it out there. Thank you very much for having me. No worries at all.